Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would simply help us see our world and our work differently. Lord, we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. At some point, my understanding is that Bernie Madoff simply should have reported a significant loss. Most likely, it started out innocently enough. He simply didn't want to admit a mistake. Just didn't want people to know that he had failed. Just didn't want to hurt his reputation. But he wasn't willing. Didn't want to give up his power, didn't want to give up his influence, didn't want to give up his success. And because he couldn't, he started the biggest act of investment fraud in American history. A $65 billion Ponzi scheme that ended up getting him sentenced to 150 years in prison. All out of, of all things, pride. Out of fear. All because he got in a little over his head. All because he wanted to be successful. It's funny what we would do to be successful. In an article in a magazine called Fast Company, the author wrote this, of all the subjects that we obsess about, success is the one we lie about the most. That success and its cousin money will make us secure. That success and its cousin power will make us important. That success and its cousin Fame will make us happy. It's time to tell the truth. Why are our generation's smartest, most talented, most successful people flirting with disaster in record numbers? People are using all their means to get money, power, and glory, and then self-destructing. Maybe they didn't want it in the first place, or didn't like what they saw when they finally achieved it. Or for us. Maybe you could simply ask the question, what is it that we are looking for? What are we striving for? What does success look like for us? We push so hard, we sacrifice so much, we work so hard, and for what? What's the goal? Do we work simply for success? Do we work for power? Do we work for popularity? Or is it more subtle than that? Do we work to be seen as successful? Do we work to find purpose? Do we work to find our worth? Is this the new meaning of what it looks like to work for a living, working to be worthy of living? But let's back up for a moment. Today we finish the second part of our overarching series on work. In this overarching series, we've been asking how we as Christians are supposed to view and ultimately do our work. In the smaller series that we're finishing this morning, we've been looking at the motivations behind our work. What's the why behind your work? What inspires your work? What makes you work harder? Or in other words, what are you working for, and is that working for you? So far, we've looked at working for more. We've looked at working for ourselves. We've spent some time looking at just the motivation of working for work's sake. We've spent some time talking about working for the weekends. But today, we simply are looking at working for a living. And in that, 
Are we trying to get more out of our work than work actually offers? So if you would, I would invite and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19. While you're turning there, I'll, I'll remind you that this section of Matthew is a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has already taught, blessed are the meek and merciful. Blessed are the persecuted and the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit and pure in heart. After that, he talked about salt and light. He talked about anger, lust, and lying. He talked about prayer and fasting. And then we come to our passage today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. <clears throat> but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. As we work back through our passage this morning, I want us to remember about the question that we're looking at. What are you working for? And the reality is that for almost everyone, the initial answer, the first answer, the simplest answer is simply we're working for pay. We're working so that we can put food on our, our plates and clothes on our back and a roof over our heads. And since this is North Texas, it goes in this list, I think, and an AC in the summer and heat in the winter. That probably needs to be added to the list of necessities. That's what I'm talking about. But what happens after these physiological needs are met? What else do we work for? What else do we hope to achieve through our work? What other treasures do we start to value and pursue? Well, if you were to look at Maslow's hierarchy, for example, 
We probably then need our safety needs met, security, health, and well-being. And again, some of this, though noticeably less, can be found through our work. But as we start to earn more than what we need to survive and keep us safe, I wonder if we start to look to our work for more than our work can provide. And I wonder what problems that creates. In fact, maybe this was the problem that we first encountered in the Garden of Eden when we sinned. We thought that work, growing and harvesting and ultimately partaking of the forbidden fruit would somehow change us. We just didn't expect how it would. In other words, maybe even then we were looking to our work to give us pleasure, power, purpose. Maybe even then we were looking to our work for achievement, affluence, approval. Maybe even then we were looking to our work to find our status and security, our worth, our value, or even simply to be able to control a bit more of the world. Alas, instead we found heartache and fear and pain. And the real trouble is that I think we still look to our work to provide all of those things. We still work in order to make a living, to find our worth, to increase our status, to find pleasure, to find our purpose. But maybe that's not what work is for. And it's not like you get off the hook just because you're not working for a paycheck either. As we've been talking about, everyone works in different capacities. And yet, how often do we as stay-at-home parents, as retirees, as those who are currently looking for a job, still try and measure our worth by what we get done? Or feel a lack of, of status because we can't answer the question, what do you do? Or even simply long for work simply to find more purpose. In fact, even more than that, as a culture, we have come to believe that certain kinds of work don't just give value, but have innate value. You're not valuable because you work in general. You're only valuable if you work in certain kinds of jobs. Tim Keller, in a book called Every Good Endeavor, points out that nowadays there are only three high-status kinds of jobs. Those that pay well, those that directly worked on society's needs, and those that had the cool factor. Because there's no longer an operative consensus on the dignity of all work, still less on the idea that in all work we are the hands and fingers of God serving the human community. In other words, nowadays a job only counts if it meets those three criteria, if it, if it either pays well or helps society's needs or is kind of innately cool. And you can, you can picture this. You've seen this. Hi, my name's Tim. What's your name? That's great. What do you do? If your answer is something to do with, I make a ton of money, you know you're okay. You know that's a good answer. If you, like, I do something with technology to make your brain work differently, like, oh, that's, that's fantastic. I help the poor. That's great. And every other job, there's a little bit of a, like, oh, that's nice. Of course, that's a problem, too, 
Because not everyone is gifted or called to do those three kinds of works. So if you don't describe your job the right way, you may feel like your work is unfulfilling. Of course, there's a bigger problem of working for a living. And that is that if we pursue the wrong ends through our work, there are consequences, which our passage alludes to. We end up with misplaced hearts, darkened eyes, and worried lives. Our passage tells us that what we value directs our hearts. And that sounds kind of backwards there, because our, our hearts actually, apparently, according to this passage, follow what we treasure. We normally think about it the other way, that, that what we treasure, that, that we were just following our hearts. That's the way we talk about it. But according to Jesus, it may go the other way. So if you treasure your stuff, you'll desire more stuff. If you treasure status, you'll want more status. If you treasure achievement, then you'll want to achieve more. What's more, we, we tend to want to follow or even serve what our hearts focus on. And so we sacrifice our time, we sacrifice our efforts, we sacrifice even our very selves for our treasures. But as the passage says, you can't serve two masters, and therefore it's important to make sure that you are treasuring the right things, so that you're serving the right things. But it's not just a heart issue, it's also an eye issue. Again, at first glance, our passage seems to get this backwards, but maybe not. In the same way that our hearts follow our treasures, so our cravings follow our sights. And therefore, what you look at or allow yourself to see will affect your appetite, affect your actions, affect your motivations. If you spend your time looking at clothes and cars and houses, you'll find yourself wanting what you don't have. If you spend your time looking at food, you'll awaken new cravings that you never knew existed. If you spend all your time looking at the rich and famous, you will find that you now have a desire to be rich famous. Of course, it works the other way as well. If you spend your time focused on your fears, you may find that you're more afraid. If you spend your time focused on all the things that, that aggravate you, you might find that you are becoming more angry. If you spend your time focusing on your lack, you may find that you now are desiring more and more. There's an effect here, and it's not always a good one. We see it really in the third consequence especially. Pursuing the wrong ends through our work also will create a worried life. We worry we won't have enough. We worry we're falling behind. We'll worry that we won't be able to reach the thing we think we want. Part of Jesus' point is that we have a tendency to worry about all the things that we don't simply have any control about. Things we can't change. There's a little bit of an irony in this passage, since it's right after that Jesus talks about moths and rusts destroying and thieves breaking in and stealing, that Jesus then tells us, but don't worry. Isn't it precisely because of destruction and loss and brokenness that we do worry in the first place? And yet sometimes it's because of our worry that our fears are finally manifest in our lives. I'm so worried about my health that I start getting stressed, which makes me less 
healthy. I'm so worried about safety that I keep myself from becoming anti-fragile, to use uh, Nassim Taleb's word. I'm so worried about what I don't have, it keeps me from enjoying what I do have. I'm so worried about others that I forget to simply enjoy the people around me. I'm so worried about keeping my job that I end up losing it. All these are the problems that come with trying to find a living through our work. It's simply not what work is for. Of course, the real issue is that striving to obtain all of these things through our work, our worth, our security, our control, our achievements, our purpose, our peace, are actually things that we only gain through our faith, through Jesus. And this means that we as Christians are actually free, or we should be free, to work for something else. You see, everyone's looking for worth. Everyone's looking for security, for control, for purpose. And we all look for these things in different ways. We look through our work, we look through our relationships, we look through our possessions. But we as Christians know that we gain these things through our relationship with Jesus. Jesus died for you, so you know you have worth. You've been adopted into the family of God. So you know you have status and value. You've been accepted, you've been chosen, you've been called by God. And so of course you are loved, of course you have purpose. And that means that we don't have to find those things in our work. Keller says it this way, since we already have in Christ the things other people work for, salvation, self-worth, a good conscience, and peace, now we may work simply to love God and our neighbors. You see, the problem occurs for Christians when we don't remember that we have all those things in Jesus, and then we fall back to trying to have to gain and game all of those things through our work. And that's when we, we, we return to trying to work out our salvation and our status through our jobs. And our work becomes something it was never intended to be. We cease to find our work fulfilling at that point. We cease to find balance in our lives. We cease to experience the joy of a job well done because we're trying to get more out of our work than our work was made to provide. And yet we as Christians, have our living through Jesus, and thus everything is changed. Therefore, we are free to pursue more and better through our work. You may remember our original job description from Genesis. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. To cultivate and care for the garden, to rule over creation, to create order out of chaos. These were all things that God had done and invited us to do to partner with Him. And I believe that a lot of these still remain the foundation of many, if not all, of our various jobs. There are still moments in our jobs, even today, that what, our, what we're being called to do is to cultivate and care for something, to rule over something, to create order where there's chaos. Some of us create order in our homes when chaos develops by cleaning, by organizing while others of us do it on spreadsheets when chaos comes to financial statements. 
Some of us cultivate and care for children, while others of us cultivate and care for companies and institutions and cultures. Some of us rule over our lives as we strive to, to keep up with paying bills and, and home repairs, while others of us try and manage and lead our co-workers responsibly and wisely. Some of us are in the business of creating. Some of us draw out beauty. Some of us cultivate learning. Some of us keep people and creation safe and so much more. These are the things that God does too. And in all of these tasks, in the best of times, in the best of moments, we see our original calling being fulfilled as we partner with God in what he does. This should change how we work as we recognize what we're doing is the same thing that God does. That maybe he has called us to continue this work. Or you could look at it a different way. Our passage ends by saying, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which interestingly comes in our passage in the context of work. Just prior to this, Jesus has been talking about sowing and reaping and storing in barns. He's been talking about laboring and spinning, and yet we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's interesting that in some ways those are two different things, too. It strikes me that seeking his kingdom is a matter of of making our world more like he would have it. It means partnering with him to promote justice, to love the least, to do the work of creation, making this world more like he wants it. And of course, many of us, all of us, can do that even through our work. Of course, that's not all that we are to seek. We also are to seek his righteousness. And this isn't a matter of transforming the world, but instead it's a matter of, again, partnering with him to transform our very lives. Because if we seek his righteousness, then we are to strive to live out his righteousness in our lives. To live in his righteousness in our faith. And to work out his righteousness through our lives. So for us as Christians... We have our living through Jesus. We don't work for a living. But that then sets us free to work through seeking him and his righteousness. Let's pray. Lord God, you know that sometimes our work can become all-consuming. That Sometimes we... We think one thing is our motivation, but really it's something else. Lord, we confess that sometimes we put our work above everything else because we're trying to find our worth through our work, our status through our work, our very lives through our work. Lord, help remind us even this week that our worth and our value are in you that our purpose is in your calling, that, that who we are is more a function of who you are than it is through what we do. And as we do that, Lord, set us free. Set us free that we might do your work better, that we might have a clear understanding of who you are and who you've made us to be, 
We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.